welcome to Season 4, Episode 11 of Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Just a reminder that Fire Away streams live online every month. If you missed an episode or if you want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and on LinkedIn and our website. Today, I'm joined by some familiar faces, Brittany Taylor and Nadia Zaman from Rudner Law. And together, we're going to be looking back at the whirlwind that was 2021 and looking ahead to 2022. What happened over the past 12 months and what are we looking for over the next 12 months to the extent that we can possibly predict that at this point. Uh, so we have a lot to get to talk about. So let's get started. And first of all, Brittany and Nadia, thank you for, uh, for joining me this month. Thanks for having us, Stuart. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun, as always, and I'm sure we're, we're going to struggle to cover everything we want to cover in the time we have, as always. So I won't spend a whole lot of time with it, with introductions, uh, but by way of what happened in 2021, I think uh, when we were contemplating this show even four weeks ago, we had no idea where we'd be at this point. Uh, I think we were all hop hoping that the discussion, to the extent it talked about COVID, would be talking about it in, you know, disappearing slowly in the rearview mirror uh, instead of what we have seen, which is the rising cases and the increasing restrictions and travel limits and and all of our clients who plan to start, you know, either going back to the workplace or increasing their presence in the workplace now delaying their plans yet again. Um, but anyways, our plan is to do a recap of what uh, significant events in the employment law world over the last year and also try to uh, to prognosticate a bit about what's going to happen over the next year. So we're going to start with uh, some legislation, uh, non-pandemic related, uh, although enough of our discussion will be COVID related. So Nadia, I think uh, will lead us through this discussion. Uh, so I'll hand it over to you. Thanks, Stuart. So in 2021, there were several changes that uh, came about which weren't pandemic related, which was a little strange because 2020 was all about the pandemic and 2021 for the large part was as well a lot about the pandemic, but having to deal with employer and employee side issues that had nothing to do with the pandemic was kind of like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so we had the Working for Workers Act, uh, which received royal assent earlier this month. And this legislation is important for both employers and employees because it addresses the right to disconnect. Although we still don't have much detail with respect to what the policies employers are required to introduce need to contain. So we'll be looking out for that. But employers are required to have written policies in place by June 2nd of next year, as long as they have 25 or more employees as of Jan 1st. And the other uh, important change that this legislation brings about is that it bans non-competition covenants, um, which is, you know, a huge uh, move by the government. Uh, and this should help clarify a worker's rights when leaving the company, because previously we would get a lot of employees reaching out to us being concerned about, you know, what the pros and cons would be of potentially breaching a non-competition covenant. And a lot of them, even though they knew that you know, wouldn't really be enforceable anyways, they were just worried of having to deal with the hassle of the employer potentially coming up after them. So, 
So uh, one one thing uh, to note is that it's not banned for executives. So employers can still have non-competition covenants for ex- executives in place. I'll just I'll jump, jump in there for a second because the whole right to disconnect, I think it's important people realize what this legislation says and, and what it doesn't say. And I, I think we also have to look at the context. This is Ontario legislation coming up on an election year. Um, so it's, you know, it's got great media potential and there are a lot of sound bites about this right to disconnect and protecting workers. Um, the reality is this requires that employers, as Nadia said, have a policy. It doesn't say what the policy has to include. So as some people have somewhat facetiously said, they're going to have a policy which says that our, our workers are not required to check their email between 2 and 3 a.m. every day. Uh, <laughs> and that will be their policy. And there is nothing in the legislation that says that's offside. Uh, so there's going to have to be a lot more detail. Uh, and the other thing is I've seen some headlines that say that this comes into place uh, on January 1st of 2022, which, of course, is not right. As Nadia said, it's June. Um, but there's going to have to be a lot more detail before it has any real meaning. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really important point. And and one thing that we have seen being discussed is what this legislation actually does in terms of helping employees. Um, I think one of the things that uh, employees have realized uh, who have been able to work remotely during the pandemic is that the flexibility is one of the biggest benefits of you know being able to take a slightly longer lunch because you can just make up the time at a later a later period. So it, we're going to have to wait and see what the specifics are of this legislation, but it could actually interfere with that level of flexibility that I think a lot of employees and employers have really recognized as one of the key benefits of of a remote work environment. So that's going to be something else I think is going to be really interesting to see develop. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And just quickly on the non-competition aspect that uh, you also mentioned, Nadia. Uh, I mean, we've been telling clients for years that courts don't want to restrict someone's ability to earn a living any more than they reasonably have to. And non-competition clauses are, are by default not enforceable. So even though you may have one in your contract, uh, it may not be enforceable. And it's only really in very limited circumstances that a court will consider enforcing it. And even if they will consider enforcing it, the terms have got to be reasonable and terms being primarily length of time, geographic scope, etc. cetera. Uh, and courts, and this is different in the US, courts won't fix a clause that they deem to be overreaching. So if you ask for 12 months and a court says that six is reasonable, they won't read it down to six. They'll just strike it altogether. So as we constantly tell our employer clients, if you ask for too much, you end up with nothing. Uh, so that's the default at law now. And then this, this legislation may not change very much, but at least it's brought some some attention to the issue. And a lot more people are going to be aware of the fact that even if they signed a non-competition clause, they may not may not actually be stuck having to uh, to abide by it. For sure. And we'll still have to wait and see, you know, if there's any further guidance from the government with respect to the right to disconnect policies and also what employers plan with respect to the specific context of their own workplace, right? Because it's going to vary a lot depending on the nature of the workplace. In in some cases, you know, it might make sense to say, okay, after 5 p.m., you're not expected to check your email. But in other types of industries, that's not going to make sense at all. And it's actually going to be unhelpful for the employee to have that type of an arrangement. So I think employers also need to be very cautious when approaching these types of policies instead of simply assuming that this is what they're required to do, because a lot of the times they're going to underestimate what their um, rights and obligations are going to be or overestimate it as well. So you want to make sure that you seek legal advice with respect to that. 
So there, there have been some legislative changes that are related to COVID, uh, but they are relating to the infectious disease emergency leave. So the unpaid infectious disease emergency leave was already in place from 2020, but in 2021, Ontario introduced paid infectious disease emergency leave or IDEL, uh, which, is, which is often also referred to as just paid sick leave. But this is specifically <laughs> in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's not just any type of you know, sick day. It has to be in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic and their specific criteria and requirements as well. So employees who are eligible are entitled to up to three days of paid IDEL. And the other thing that happened in 2021 is that both paid and unpaid IDEL have been extended all the way until the end of July 2022. So this also means that the temporary layoff rules under the Ontario Employment Standards Act apply until at least the end of July 2022. And we don't know if uh, the government's going to extend it further, but at least for now, employees who have been temporarily laid off due to COVID, they are deemed to be on infectious disease emergency leave. Yeah, and hopefully there's not going to be any need to extend that beyond summer of 2022. But... Don't jinx it, Stuart. <laughs> right. uh, hopefully not, but anyway, we'll see. Well, that's probably a good segue. Brittany, you were going to talk about vaccination. Yes, absolutely. So, of course, one of the biggest things that we saw happening this year in the employment law world was employers kind of scrambling to prepare some type of vaccination policies. Now, in some cases, this was to respond to specific legislative requirements. So, for example, for employers working in the federal sphere, uh, certain high risk industries were were required to have mandatory vaccination policies put in place. Uh, but a lot of employers, even who were not faced with a requirement to impose these policies realized pretty quickly that it was very difficult to comply with their health and safety obligations and make sure they were doing everything that they needed to to keep their workplace safe without having a vaccination policy. They were also noticing that they just didn't know what to do in terms of asking employees for proof of vaccination. Um, you know, how do you go about making sure that people are getting vaccinated, that you're encouraging people to get vaccinated? So a lot of the times these policies are being developed really not because the employer is trying to force all of their staff to get vaccinated, but just so the employer can get a snapshot of what's happening in the workplace. Because without that, how are they supposed to take steps to make sure that everybody is safe? Right. And that, I think that's one of the biggest misnomers that we experienced this year is a lot of people hear vaccination policy and they assume mandatory vaccination policy. That's actually not the bulk of what we have spent our time drafting this year. A lot of what we are drafting is what I would probably refer to and, and others have probably heard referred to as vaccinate or test policies. So essentially what they are is it, a, a disclosure obligation so that the employer can be aware of what's happening in the workplace, but then B, basically a, a statement that if you choose not to be vaccinated, the only alternative is going to be other health and safety measures to ensure that the workplace is safe. And that could include regular rapid testing. It could include uh, having people work remotely. It could include putting people on leave, right? There's a lot of options in terms of making sure that health and safety is preserved within the workplace. So that's been one of the biggest developments that we've seen is, is drafting these policies, uh, modifying them as more direction continues to come out, uh, as public health recommendations change. Uh, vaccination 
uh, policies have probably been the most uh, fluid policies that I've ever drafted and that they are constantly changing, constantly evolving, and they have to be drafted in a way that's flexible enough to allow for that. Even something like uh, the third booster shot, for example, you know, earlier this year, that was not something that we were contemplating being regularly or widely available to a lot of people. And so vaccination policies didn't even contemplate them. Now, of course, we want to make sure that we're leaving that window open for employers to be able to ask about that booster shot as well, not just the two vaccination doses. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great point. And that now, now we're trying to draft them to include, you know, the two shots and then any further shots that are recommended by the, right. the medical guidance. So that's a really important point. The other important point, which you, you mentioned, is just, you know, the media as, you know, as usually the case where you read headlines, you don't get the full story. And so initially, all the reports talked about, you know, vaccination policies suggesting it was mandatory. And as Brittany said, most of them aren't. Most of them don't require vaccination, but they say if you're not vaccinated, you'll have to have either regular testing or some other mechanisms to ensure safety. Um, but a lot of employers just sort of assumed that they could enforce it and didn't get proper legal advice and then fired people who didn't provide proof of vaccination. And now they're you know, either being threatened with a claim or there is an active claim. And you know, we'll talk about what we're going to see in 2022, but that's certainly a lot of what will be taking place are, are these claims. Uh, but we do, I'll, I'll, I'll do the, um, the smooth segue, because I think you're not going to talk about some of the decisions <laughs> on vaccination policies. We've got some guidance from arbitrators, but not as much as some people seem to think. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I think it's important to recognize that we don't yet have a, a court decision telling us, okay, how are courts going to interpret these policies? Uh, when is it going to be too far? Right. When it, when is the employer going to cross the line? Uh, but we do have some guidance from from arbitration decisions, which are decisions in the unionized context. Uh, and these are varied. We do have mixed results, uh, but they are mostly in favor of employers at this point in time. Now, what I will say is that it depends a lot on the circumstances of the workplace. Right. The, the question overall is, is the policy reasonable in the circumstances? Is there a less intrusive way that we can ensure health and safety? Um, how is your policy drafted? Are you requiring mandatory vaccination? Do you need to require mandatory vaccination? Have you explored other options in terms of keeping the workplace safe? Um, you know, so think about it this way, a workforce that is entirely remote, that does not have an office location, is very different than a workforce where employees are on job sites or where they're traveling frequently and interacting with clients or the public. Right. Very different needs and how a court or an arbitrator is going to approach a policy in those circumstances is going to be based in the context of the actual needs of the workplace. Um, so if we've learned anything from the arbitration decisions, I think that's what we would want to take away is likely when courts are reviewing these types of policies, they are going to be looking at the context of the work environment and asking, what is the degree of risk? Is there other steps we can take to try to mitigate against that risk? Right. So it's going to be really interesting to see how courts deal with not just this. It's not just one question of are vaccination policies enforceable. It's it's a, a ton of little tiny questions within that bigger question of is this OK? You know, even something like can you make employees pay for their own tests? Can they be asked to do it on their own time? Right. Like, There's a whole bunch of other issues that are going to be dealt with in terms of evaluating these policies opposed or as aside from just the big question of are they enforceable at all 
Yeah. No, I think, and it's just what I want to make sure everyone understands this because I've had so many clients and other people call us and say, well, you know, we've already had it confirmed that you can fire somebody who doesn't get vaccination, have the vaccination or proof. None of the decisions we've seen have said that. They've been almost entirely procedural decisions, mostly where unions have tried to get an interim order that prevented a company or an organization from implementing a vaccination policy. That was an interim step to prevent the policy from being put in place. And in most cases, the arbitrators have allowed the organization to go ahead and put the policy in place. That doesn't mean that you can now fire anybody for cause if they don't get vac get vaccinated. And I mean, I'm going to be, I've spent way too much of my career looking at just cause for dismissal. And, you know, my, my book is called You're Fired, Just Cause, you know, just cause for Dismissal in Canada. I think I might come up with a, a new sub book called Just Cause for Dismissal in a Pandemic. Uh, <laughs> because we're going to be looking at these issues and it all comes down to reasonableness. And as Brittany said, you know, it may be reasonable if you are talking about someone who's a frontline worker in a healthcare institution to require they be vaccinated. It's not reasonable if they are a support working, worker answering a hotline uh, from home and never interacting with anybody. There's no need that they, for them to be vaccinated. So it's not going to be one size fits all. Um, and, you know, anybody who goes ahead you know, and fires someone for cause is definitely taking a risk at this point. Yeah. I would also encourage, uh, no worries, I would also <laughs> encourage employers to look at the bigger picture. Um, I know that a lot of the times, you know, people will get bogged down by the details and forget to sort of take a step back and think about, okay, what's the, what are the overarching sort of legal principles that I'm required to comply with? And employers often, um, you know, won't keep that in mind that the Occupational Health and Safety Act, it requires them to take all reasonable steps to make sure that their workers are safe. And in, in a lot of different contexts, you know, um, different requirements should be applicable or different practices would make sense from a safety perspective, right? Um, like Stuart and Brittany both said. So it really depends on the context of your workplace. And even if a case is decided, let's say, it doesn't mean that the same thing is going to apply to your workplace. So I would also be cautious in, in terms of just taking any decision at face value and thinking that it's going to apply to your workplace and taking a hasty decision just based on that. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, a really good point. Really, really well said, Nadia. And I think that's that's also a really common misconception is, oh, we've got a decision on this, so now I can do whatever I want. And it, they are going to be context specific. It's really important to keep that in mind. Yeah. I cannot think of a better segue to the next discussion, <laughs> which is talking about some of the case law from 2021 and a number of conflicting decisions. So, uh, Nadia, I'll turn that over to you. And I'm also mindful it's already 1248. So I will, I will promise to do my best not to interrupt you or, or jump in too much. Thanks, Stuart. Yeah, so 2021 was also interesting because of the number of conflicting decisions we got. I mean, I, I don't think previous to 2020 and 2021, employment lawyers were this busy. I mean, I imagine they were, but it just like really kept everyone on their toes. So to begin with, we had conflicting decisions regarding whether temporary layoffs due to the pandemic can be constructive dismissal under the common law. And really, we have cases saying that, yes, it, it can constitute constructive dismissal under the common law, but we also have conflicting decisions saying that, no, 
um, you know, exceptional situations call for exceptional measures, right? And so we need some sort of an appeal decision or some sort of clarity, guidance from the courts uh, to understand where this is going to be headed. And we're hoping that, you know, we can get that in 2022. But for now, employers or employees, um, you know, employers who are faced with litigation or employees who are thinking of pursuing litigation, they will be assuming a certain level of risk because this is not really definite. So the other situation where we received conflicting decisions is relating to termination clauses. So the issue is whether if a termination clause is invalid on its face, it, it, on its face, if it's going to be invalid, or if the employee sophistication and the fact that they sought independent legal advice, if that's going to be relevant. So everyone probably remembers the Waxdale decision. It pretty much shook the employment law world back in 2020. And in 2021, leave to appeal was denied by the Supreme Court of Canada. So essentially, the Ontario Court of Appeal decision stands, and that's good law right now in Ontario. So the Ontario Court of Appeal had found that an unenforceable for-cause termination provision in an employment contract renders the entire termination clause unenforceable. So that decision still stands, but then Rahman came along and the judge in that case focused on the employee being sophisticated and seeking independent legal advice to find the termination clause enforceable. This decision likely will be appealed, but two decisions that came after that decision reached the opposite conclusion and found that an invalid provision is still invalid and the employee's sophistication is irrelevant. So there is a certain level of uncertainty there and employers and employees alike will have to, um, will, will be wise to seek legal advice based on the context of their specific, um, specific case. And there were some other important decisions as well. So for example, Morningstar, um, Came, came out and basically decided that employees can sue for constructive dismissal caused by chronic mental stress. And we also had a decision talking about the statutory severance pay requirements under the Ontario Employment Standards Act and confirmed that it's based on a company's global payroll being at least $2.5 million and not based on Ontario's payroll being at least $2.5 million. Thanks, Nadia. That was a pretty good summary of a whole lot of case law in a few minutes. Uh, yeah. just on, on that last point, I mean, it's an interesting one. We've seen this, I mean, as long as I've been practicing. And the issue, just so everyone understands, is under Ontario Employment Standards Act, when you let somebody go without cause, you've got to pay them, of course, termination pay. You may have to pay them severance pay if your payroll, annual payroll exceeds $2.5 million. And for years, that was interpreted to mean payroll in Ontario. And there was some debate about whether it included you know, the rest of Canada. This decision says it's global. So in theory, you could be a company based in Washington, D.C., have one employee in Ontario making $40,000 a year, and yet the severance obligation will still be triggered because your payroll exceeds $2.5 million globally. Uh, so it's something to bear in mind when you're letting somebody go. Uh, anyways, I don't want to belabor that point. And the only other thing on case law I was going to mention uh, is that we have had some decisions on whether the existence of a pandemic impacts the common law notice periods. Uh, and again, some mixed decisions, but 
I would say the more common approach seems to be that yes, although it will depend on the industry. Some industries obviously got really busy because of the pandemic, in which case, you know, it's not going to increase the notice period. It might even decrease it in some cases. But the bottom line, I think, is that courts are willing to consider whether the pandemic had an impact on job prospects and it can impact notice periods as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one of the common misconceptions that I've heard is people assuming that because they were fired during the pandemic, that automatically is going to result in an increase to the notice period. And as Stuart said, it is going to depend on the circumstances of each individual employee, because in some cases, the pandemic may have helped them in terms of being able to find new employment because of the level of demand for their their type of work. Right. In other cases, there is clear um, you know, interference with the ability to find new employment. So employees definitely shouldn't assume and employers shouldn't assume that there's an automatic bump just because we are going through the pandemic when the termination occurred. Yeah. Um, Brittany, did you want to talk about uh, returning to the uh, return to the office slash hybrid type of work or do we want to move on to what to expect in 2022? Um, I mean, really quickly, this was just another phenomenon that we experienced this year was a lot of time working with employers to figure out what does the future look like? I mean, it, a lot of employers kind of stuck took stock and said, do we need an office of this size? Do we need all of our workers to be in the office at all? Uh, and what we really started to see was a lot of employers deciding that when it was time to come back, they were never coming back at 100%, right? They were adopting some type of hybrid model involving, uh, you know, maybe some staff working permanently at home, others in the office, or a, a kind of staggered shift process where people are in the office two days a week, and they they kind of, you know, take turns about who's coming in and who's not. Uh, so so that has resulted in obviously a lot more uh, changes to policies, new policies that employers may not have had in place before, such as uh, remote work policies, um, hybrid work arrangement policies, and some adjustments to employment agreements in some cases as well. So it was a really busy year in terms of just trying to figure out okay, what does the future even look like? And in particular, when we were feeling very hopeful <laughs> only a few weeks ago that everything was going to get back to normal very quickly, uh, certainly that was that was the goal. Was That was where our attention had kind of turned to was, okay, how do we get people back? Do we want them back? Right. So it was a really interesting uh, conversation. Yeah. And obviously an evolving one as well, since a yes. lot of those plans to return to work have now been delayed till uh, I've heard February, I've heard April, I've heard July of 2022. Uh, yeah. So we will see what happens, uh, which I guess is a good way to lead into our prognostication for what's going to happen in 2022. So we've got a bit of a hit list of, of things to look for in the coming year. Uh, you know, knowing that we're at a less of a disadvantage. Oh, Rob, this isn't the, the transition to the uh, tips yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting good at seeing your cues, though, so at least I've learned it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we want to talk about what we expect in 2022. We really have very little idea. I mean, we are in the process of planning a webinar, so everyone look out for the Rudner Law webinar in February. But we have held off on announcing topics yet because we don't know where things are going to be. Uh, and if we had announced them a month ago, we'd be rapidly racing to change them right now. So. Uh, look out for that. But in the meantime, we've got a bit of a hit list of things to look for. Uh, so I think Nadia is going to kick us off. Yeah. So in light of the Working for Workers Act, employers will be preparing right to disconnect policies. And the prevalence of the use of non-competition covenants is likely to go down. 
also um, based on the um, IDEL rules that I was talking about earlier. So the regular temporary layoff rules will likely resume later next year. I'm hoping that they're not going to continue being extended beyond uh, summer 2022, as uh, as Stuart was saying as well earlier, uh, because that would mean that the COVID-19 pandemic situation uh, hasn't really gotten better. So I'm trying to be optimistic and hoping that it will resume later next year. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope fingers crossed for that. Um, in terms of other things that we can expect to see, I think eventually we will be seeing people starting to return to work in person. I know a lot of, uh, of people that I was speaking to were hoping for a January kind of return to the office date, but that seems very unlikely at this point. Um, more businesses will start opening up again. Um, in, I think, again, the hybrid model is going to continue to be explored um, and more employers are going to have to be uh if they don't already have it, a remote work practice or policy in place to make sure that their employees understand what to expect. So I think we're going to continue to see discussions surrounding this, uh, even though these discussions have been pushed back, likely a, a few, hopefully only a few months. Uh, they will come up eventually as people start to be comfortable returning to the office again. Sounds good. Uh, my, my forecast is a whole lot of employment related litigation. Um, that's probably going to be the same a year from now when I talk about what's going to happen in 2023. Uh, <laughs> we are going to see more and more claims relating to whether those COVID related layoffs were constructive dismissals. As we've talked about, we've had a few decisions released. So we're going to see far more claims. Remember that people have two years to bring a claim in civil court. So a lot of people are waiting to see what happens, see how long they're going to be at home to see what other courts are, are saying. But we're going to see a lot of claims on that basis. We're going to see a lot of claims on vaccination related dismissals uh, and you know, a lot of other things related to the pandemic. So we're going to see a lot of litigation is my one of my forecasts. Uh, another is more judgments. You know, as Nadia said, we've got a lot of conflicting decisions. We're going to see more conflicting decisions. Hopefully we're going to see a court of appeal decision uh, on issues like whether temporary layoffs constitute constructive dismissals and possibly Supreme Court of Canada. I mean, if we have other provinces with mixed decisions, then you know, that's the type of situation where the Supreme Court will get involved because they do want to provide some some clear guidance. So I don't know if we'll see that in 2022. That might be a 2023 thing. Um, and getting away from COVID for a second, I will fairly confidently say that we'll see even more attacks on termination clauses as the year goes on. Uh, we have seen hundreds of cases in the last few years where people have attacked termination clauses and, and probably in, I'd say in most of the cases, courts have agreed with them and found ways to get, get people out of the clauses they signed. So we're going to see more and more of that and it's probably going to get even harder to enforce termination clauses, which is why it's really critical to have them drafted properly. So those are my, those are my predictions. So Nadia, do you have one to finish off? Yeah, sure. So the last thing that I wanted to say is federal employees now have 10 sick days. And one of the questions what questions is whether provinces are going to follow. And already we know that British Columbia, um, you know, in British Columbia as of January 2022, employees have five paid sick days. So the question is whether other provinces are going to follow as well. And hopefully we'll see some other provinces following that in 2022. Cool. Thanks. So those are our predictions for 2022. And uh, Rob, this will be your cue. Now, 
Instead of taking my turn to fire away as I usually would, the three of us are collectively going to offer some tips on how everyone can enjoy the holidays in 2021. Let me get into a proper attire for this. Uh, <laughs> so we did want to, as we go into another holiday season with a lot of restrictions and limitations on travel and gatherings, we did want to offer our tips on how you can make the most of the holiday season. So Brittany, I think you're going to go first. I am. So my tip, of course, I'm going to be the uh, the responsible uh, mom, one of the group and say that please stay safe. Uh, keep your gathering small. Remember that rapid test kits are available at pharmacies and some LCBOs if you want to be extra sure it's safe to see family. And of course, the most crucial tip that I can give everyone is to go see the new Spider-Man movie because it rocks. <laughs> Nadia? So I'm going to say that, you know, it's been a very difficult two years for a lot of people so as much as possible try to unwind and relax disconnect from social media as much as possible especially if it's causing you anxiety I know a friend of mine posted um, that uh, you know when she goes on Instagram she just sees people vacationing on the beach but when she's on Twitter everyone's like doom and gloom so she doesn't <laughs> know what to believe anymore like which reality to believe so as always you know social media is not the reality um, and if it is causing you anxiety, try to try and stay out of it. Um, and last but not the least, do something you enjoy this holiday season. I know that it's a tough time, but uh, try and do something just for yourself. Thanks, Nadia. And uh, my, my tip will be based on inclusivity. And, and this is not to say you shouldn't do what you would normally do, but it's actually a lot of fun to remember. First of all, remember that not everyone celebrates the same holidays that you might. It's a lot of fun, fun to find out what, what other people from different backgrounds, different religions do. We're kind of lucky that, you know, my family is a multicultural family, so I already have two sets of traditions built in. But some of my favorite holiday memories are going other to the homes, of, going to the homes of other people who celebrate different holidays and, and getting to experience that with them. And, and on the flip side, we've had a number of people over the years, including a good friend of ours come over, I guess, three weeks ago, back when it was still safe to gather, uh, decorate a Christmas tree for the first time. So explore other holidays and learn more about different traditions. That's a, a really fun thing to do at this time of year. So that's, uh, that's our tips for how to enjoy holidays of 2021. And There we go. I want to segue back and remove my hat to <laughs> include season four, episode 11, Fire Away. So I do want to thank everyone for tuning in today and uh, over the course of the year and thank Brittany and Nadia for joining me again for a really fun episode. I do want to remind everyone that at Redner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships like legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. I also want to invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following our social media, subscribing to our newsletter, and see this every month. Although we're making progress on the COVID front, uh, it seems like we're making progress. Last month has not been as encouraging, but since day one back in March of 2020, uh, we've had our COVID-19 resource page on our website. So I do encourage people to check that regularly for updates uh, and as well check our social media for for COVID-19 workplace related updates. But as we always say, none of this replaces legal advice that is tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us at any time. 
Our next episode is going to be on January 18th. We'll be joined by John Curtis and Larissa Donovan discussing sexual harassment in the workplace. And the discussion is really going to be guided by the recent um, controversy faced by the Chicago Blackhawks, Blackhawks of the NHL, which is a classic case of an organization making a deliberate decision not to address a serious issue of harassment because they were focused on the success of the organization. In that case, choosing to focus on the Stanley Cup playoffs and really ignore a serious incident of sexual harassment. So it should be a great discussion. I encourage you to tune in. Also remind you that past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you like our page or subscribe to our channels, of course, you'll get notifications when episodes are live. Lastly, I want to thank Rob, Rebecca and Mark for all of their help throughout the year in making us look good and making this a lot of fun. So thank you all and to everyone who is tuned in. Wish you all very happy holidays, all the very best for a happy and healthy new year. And just remember to stay safe. Thanks for tuning in.